And welcome to this week's edition of the Football and More podcast. I am your host, Ethan Hammerman, and we talk almost every single week about football and so much more. It's Super Bowl week. Uh, We didn't have an episode last week because, honestly, I didn't have that much to talk about. Uh, I told you the Patriots were going to beat the Steelers, and I told you the Falcons were going to make the Super Bowl as well. So if you didn't listen, that's on you. For now, I'm going to welcome back for either the fourth or fifth time. You might be the first five-timer, Arif. You might be the first five-timer on this podcast. That's exciting to hear. I'm honored. It's like the you get instead of the SNL suite where you're in the five-timers club, uh, all we have here is just like a waterbed and a bag of Cheetos. But it's all yours. <laughs> Hooray. I mean, waterbeds so are Eventually cool. I'm going to be uh, John Goodman then, huh? Eventually. I mean, we'll get you up to Tom Hanks level soon enough, but... Um, yeah, thanks for joining me. Chuck McDonald was supposed to be on here too, but he's a little sick, so hopefully he feels better. And the reason why I wanted to talk to both of you is because for the first time in three years, I was not able to go to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, and you were. Um, so this was your first time going. So to start, why don't you quickly tell me what your thoughts were of going to the Senior Bowl? What was it like when you first got there? Uh, I mean, it's... First of all, I mean, like, you know, uh, I kind of expected for what I understood to be a relatively smaller tent, I kind of expected the airport to be a little bit closer to where stuff was, and it wasn't. Uh, We actually had a really bad time getting a car rental because uh, the rental company just didn't have its cars in the right spot. So, like, the car we thought it was, the keys wouldn't work, and we had to, like, go to a bunch of different areas of this, like, rental car lot. So, you know, it was bad as disorganized as i expected but actually going to mobile was uh was was pretty fun i mean like i grew up in a town that size so you know i felt actually surprisingly comfortable Uh, i stayed at the quality inn later learned that uh some of the reasons that other people weren't staying at the quality inn had to do with things like dead bodies and pools and stuff like that don't quote me that's on the reviews so i can't be sued for that uh, yeah, and, like, everyone's rooms, I guess, look different. This is the first time I had a hotel floor where, like, it's a hardwood floor and not carpet, which is weird, but at least, like, it's more cleanable. It, was, it wasn't a clean floor. Let me get that out of the way. But it's it's more cleanable. Um, so, yeah, that's – those are, like, my initial impressions. I really enjoyed it. Everything was really close because we ended up having a hotel downtown. Everything was really close. We ended up walking to the Renaissance Hotel, which is kind of where – you know, everything is, is, is stationed in the headquartered. Uh, you know, the practices at Lad Peoples were like eight minutes away. They finally did all the practices. I guess they used to have them in different spots, but they finally did all the practices in one stadium this year, uh, which made it super easy for me. I, I guess I didn't know how tough it would have been, but people have been complaining about it for a while. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it was great. I talked to a lot of people, uh, handed out my business card a couple of times. I didn't schmooze as much as, much as Chuck did, though. He finessed. Yeah, Chuck was the schmooze master, and big things are coming to that podcast, too. I mean, he's pretty much already dwarfed me. They're they're podcast superstars, Setting the Edge podcast. You should listen to them as well if you don't listen already, because they're great. Well worth it. Um, But I I believe that we are now roommate Eskimo cousins, because we both shared a roommate in consecutive years. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Luke was your roommate last year? Luke was my roommate last year. Luke Inman, at Luke Spinman. One of my favorite people. He's great. He's the best. Uh, and last yeah, year he's we... a riot to be around. Oh, he's just the best. I, I really, really like Luke. And uh, he's so dedicated to what he does. He works so hard. And he puts out great content. People should definitely follow him as well. Um, and last year we both stayed at the Quality Inn. So I have to ask... Your room this year was non-smoking. Did you go to any of the smoking rooms? I didn't know there were smoking rooms. Oh, uh, there are smoking rooms, and they are some of the most disgusting rooms I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, last year, Chuck and Justice were in a smoking room, and that room was the dirtiest room I think I've ever seen. And they can both tell you that they would agree with me. That room was just a mess. Well, I'm, I didn't end up going to any of the smoking rooms. I'm gl- I guess I'm glad of it. Oh, well. So, uh, anyway, moving on from the hotel itself, you said you aren't much of a schmoozer, but was were there any moments in Mobile where you just saw something that was a moment of you saying, wow, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm seeing this person do this. I remember last year when we were really uh, – Waking up in the morning, going out for breakfast, we saw John Fox just chilling, um, eating a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich just by himself in the corner of a cafe. Like, were there any moments like that where you're like, man, I'm with everyone in the NFL right now? Yeah, it's surreal because, you know, I, I like, I'm regularly used to, like, interacting with, like, the Vikings. I see, you know, Rick Spielman every so often. I see Mike Zimmer every so often. But it's, like, really weird because, like, it's not that I, you know, put all these other teams on, like, a different pedestal, but I don't see them. So, like, as soon as I walk in, the first person I see is, like, Reggie McKenzie. And that's, like, uh, like, it really hit home. Like, I was really... You know, like, holy crap, that's Reggie McKenzie. And then, of course, Ethan Young at NFL Drafter walks right up to him. Uh, and it's like, you know, hi, I'm Ethan Young. You know, I do, you know, this, this, and this. Because he's got this Sladex thing that he wants to sell to teams because he's providing unique analytic information about not just the combine, but, like, the way measurements interact with, like, player types and stuff like that. He's got this brochure printed out. He handed it out to a bunch of teams. And so he's just, like, networking. I'm like, oh, it's like that. I should just just talk to people, which is really cool. It was the first thing I saw. Um, but yeah, I know it was like, it was weird, you know, and it's not just, uh, you know, at some point you kind of switch, uh, you know, circuits, right? Because for a while you're just like, Oh my gosh, I get to meet, you know, as you start out in the industry, you're like, Oh my gosh, I get to meet like these players. You know, I've met Adrian Peterson a couple of times. Oh my gosh, I get to meet Mike Zimmer. And now it's like different where I'm like pretty used to seeing players, very used to seeing the coaches and stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, I see like Ian Rappaport or, you know, Andrew Siciliano. I'm like, holy crap, look at those. And like, those are the guys that I like geek out over. Like, you know, whether or not, you know, you like someone's coverage or not, you just kind of see them there and they're like, holy crap, you know, maybe that's, that's so cool. Hey, what's up? Uh, and so that was, that was actually the, the most sort of reality creating moment, I thought. Sort these people from shortest to tallest. You, Ian Rappaport, and Andrew Siciliano. Okay, so I didn't, I didn't see Siciliano and Rappaport at the same time, which you know would have made sense. Uh, I'm the shortest, probably, and then Siciliano, and then Rappaport. I don't think you're shorter than Siciliano. Now, granted, I have not met you in person before, but I don't think Dude, you're I'm shorter five than four. Siciliano. I am super short. Siciliano's like five foot. 
No, he just looks like that because he's got big ears. I don't know, man. I, I don't know about that. I, I think you, uh, at some point, we need to get a measuring stick and, and, and actually check it out. It is, it is really funny, head. though, that he has such a deep voice and it comes out of his like body. It's very, very funny. <laughs> All nice people. I, Ian Rappaport's the nicest guy. I've met him a few times. He's great. And Suzanne was nice, too. He's really nice. Uh, check out a... Check out to sit down and talk with him for a while, and he's got he's got some more connections involving Rapport coming up soon. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's happening, I believe. So, lots of cool stuff for sure. Um, I, I mean, yeah, that was pretty much my experience in Mobile as well. I would say that my first year in Mobile, uh, I killed it with the networking and killed it with just getting so many interviews and so much content. I remember that I interviewed with Luke, actually. We interviewed together Daniel Jeremiah and Charles Davis, and it was just freaking crazy. And then last year, was a little bit more laid back for me. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, I definitely had a good time, but it was a different experience. And I feel like you do Mobile how you do Mobile. Like, I definitely want to go back next year. I missed going this year. I couldn't go because of other um, responsibilities that I had to do instead but definitely something that I recommend people checking out if they really want to get into the business because it is really cool. And you get to talk to so many players. You get to hear things. Uh, just know when to talk and when to be quiet. That's my biggest advice in Mobile. Know when to talk and know yeah. when to just be quiet. I remember I was hanging out with Jeff Risden, who I, I love Jeff Risden. I don't know if you saw him when you were there, but he's he's the bomb. He's great. No, I, I saw him a couple of times down there. He's great. Yeah, he's he's so great. And I remember that when we were at the old South Stadium, I think this might have been two years ago, because it was when Chip Kelly was still on the Eagles. Um, Chip Kelly and Bill O'Brien were talking, and I guess Lovey Smith was standing right next to them. And Lovey Smith was harping on a receiver in practice, who I believe was Philip Dorsett, uh, and saying that, you know, this dude, like, like he wasn't thrown to enough in college, so we can't really evaluate him. And there was a moment where, like, Bill O'Brien and Chip Kelly just looked at each other and just started laughing because they're like, this is such a dumb statement. And now two of those people are <laughs> are not working in the NFL anymore, at least for now, I think. So, um, yeah, that's things that happen at the Senior Bowl. I mean, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban were hanging out. Nick Saban, by the way, apparently five foot two as well. It's all of the short oh, guys. I didn't know We're that. taking yeah, I over the him. world. It's all of the short guys. We're just taking over the world. Um, I saw him enter a media scrum, so I didn't actually get a good gauge on his height because I was like, nah, I'm not about that, and I left. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know he was that. Holy crap, I didn't know he was that short. Um, yeah. No, but I, I want to uh, echo your statements about the Senior Bowl because if you can get credentials, it's there's really there's something for everybody. If you're like, you know, because I was hanging out with John Ledger and Kyle Krabs a lot. You know, if you just want to watch football players, if you want to evaluate, if you want to like, there's a film room that you can go to. You can do that. You could spend all your time, you know, watching uh, football players and making your own evaluations of them. Or you know, you have the opportunity. There's so many scouts down there. You have the opportunity to sort of talk to scouts. You know, if you have something to offer them, they might have something to offer you, and you can kind of create and develop your own sources. Uh, and you can do like sort of more traditional reporting, which is great too. Or uh, you know, you can do what you can do what Chuck did. He didn't watch any football, and, and which is a little bit of a shame because he's really good at breaking down defensive linemen. Um, but he didn't watch any football, uh, and and he was just able to make connections with people all across 
uh, the media and, you know, and some people across football teams. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways that, that you can benefit from going to Mobile. I was down there with somebody uh, who wanted to be a GM. He had no experience in football. He figured going to Mobile uh, would be sort of the best way to, to get himself into the industry. He knew one person uh, who, was a, who was a scout for an NFC team, and he wanted to uh, – he wanted to, to leverage that into like a full out a full on like sort of executive front office career. You know, best of luck to him. I think that you know a, a place like Mobile is probably the best way to do it because, again, the Senior Bowl, you know, really is for anybody. It's it's fantastic. Totally agreed. I mean, there are still people who I talk to who I met in Mobile who uh, are good sources, and you really get a sense of who on which team. Um, what they talk about, and I mean, the big thing I think is what I said earlier: just take it all in, absorb it, and uh, soak it up. Like you will hear some crazy, crazy things. You will see some crazy, crazy things when you're in Mobile. What were the craziest things that you heard when you were in Mobile? I didn't hear actually that many crazy things. Some of the stories you were telling me is, is stuff I missed out on because I didn't go out on that first night because I was working too much. Uh, there were some things that I cannot disclose on this podcast, which are not crazy, but, you know, sort of like very interesting. Uh, crazy, man, I don't know. I, I think... Did you hear the John mostly, Lynch stuff before it happened? Because apparently that was a rumor there. Uh, what's that? The John Lynch stuff. No, I, I didn't. I didn't hear about any of it. I know uh, what Miller heard about it and someone else heard about it. Uh, before it happened, ended up not reporting on it, but like, you know, that was a rumor there. I was not, uh, I was not talking to the right people about that because that was completely, you know, sort of off my radar. Instead, actually, the best thing, uh, was I was talking to, uh, somebody who was with the Vikings about, you know, the way the Vikings were handling, you know, Christian Ponder. Uh, because, you know, he was on the staff, he was part of the game planning. And, uh, you know, that 2012 season where the Vikings went 10 and 6, made the playoffs, uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, how they, you know, how, you know, publicly the team was like very supportive of Christian Potter. Hey, he's a quarterback who wins, you know, we're in the playoffs. That's great. Uh, and, you know, privately, you know, in the, in, inside the team, you know, they were just, <laughs> they were praying every time they called a play, you know, they called it with a with a specific look in mind and a specific, you know, understanding in mind. So Christian Ponder, you know, he's got a reputation for being an extremely smart quarterback, and that's true. He is a very, very smart quarterback. But the problem is, you know, there's the difference between, you know, there's multiple kinds of intelligence, and his wasn't, you know, sort of a an adaptive, resourceful kind of intelligence that allowed you to process things quickly and react to them. You know, he was extremely good on the whiteboard. He was extremely good at you know, pre-snap identifying, you know, what coverages were. He was really good at sort of memorizing what he needed to memorize. And so when they called a play, say on third and six, right, you know, the team that they're up against, you know, they have a couple of coverages on third and six, you know, and if it's not one or two of the coverages that, you know, the team game planned for, you know, with the play that they called, you know, Ponder was done. And so every time they called a play, they were basically praying, you know, that, that, that what would happen would be right. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was talking to him and I was like, you know, Ponder, you know, I actually think that the stuff about his physical tools, cause you know, a lot of people talk about Ponder's arm strength. I, you know, I told him, you know, I didn't really think that, you know, his arm strength was, was a problem because when he set his feet, it was actually fine. I thought it was, you know, around, you know, sort of league average in terms of, you know, ball velocity and, you know, and, and he kind of agreed, but, you know, his argument was, 
Ponder was such a panicky quarterback that uh, you know he could never set himself. Uh, and so that was the internal conclusion of the Viking staff early in the 2012 season. You know, a lot of people were pretty happy about you know 2011 Ponder what he showed as a rookie and stuff like that. But early in the 2012 season, you know, they were. They, they they were panicking. So that's that's my story. That's what you get from from my hashtag sources in Mobile. Nice. I mean, there are so many good hashtag sources stories. Um, again, listen to Setting the Edge podcast. They had some good tales. Eric Galco and Josh Norris told some good stories. And those two are also good guys. I like both of them a lot. Um, I would have been interested to hear what the Vikings would have had to say about Cordero Patterson. Because I remember when I was first down there a couple of years ago, they were not very enthused by his progression as a receiver and he got better this year. They figured out how to use him better. So I think that's someone who I would have loved to get some more information on. Um, and we'll see I, if- uh, I didn't get stories or concrete information on him and literally everything can change now. Now that George Stewart is the special teams coordinator over in San Diego, you know, they have a different wide receivers coach. So the assessment of Patterson might change entirely as a result of that. So, not only take this with a grain of salt because it's an impression I got and not something somebody directly told me, but that impression could change now uh, because the wide receivers coach has left. But my understanding for Daryl Patterson is that they're actually still, you know, kind of frustrated with him. So that's and that's it. Like that's not that's not word of God. Sort of. It's just a, it felt like they were still, you know, kind of pressing with him. If that makes sense. The thing about him is, it's always going to be the thing. Uh, he doesn't understand how to run routes. I mean, it, it isn't a secret, and it isn't a problem if you get the ball in his hands in different ways, but he's just not someone who's ever going to be a really precise route runner or really understand how to get depth in his routes. So uh, we'll see what happens yeah, there. Well that, yeah, that was that was their issue with him, was the was the, was the depth in the route. Because, like, they figured that, like, okay, so he can't trick defensive backs into, you know, reading the wrong route or anything like that. But... You know, his physical tools should let him get open occasionally so long as he's supposed to be where he is. So that was that was the problem. I think that Patterson is probably a kind of guy that – and I think they think of this too. Uh, a get-your-ball-in-the-hands kind of guy, like, hey, he's good if you find a way to get a ball in his hands, but he doesn't know how to get open or, or, or be where he needs to be. I think those guys are really valuable in the NFL, but only if you've got, you know – players that the defense will focus on usually a number one receiver and maybe a pretty good number two receiver. so they can be valuable and i think that this is my understanding well the vikings because of their experience with percy harvin i think they know that you need to have an additional set of players that that take attention off the get the ball because if that's your number one guy they're just going to fall him across the field tackling behind the line of scrimmage final vikings question i promise uh did you hear anything about any of the rookies from this past year? I mean, Laquan Treadwell was a little bit of a disappointment. Well, Mackenzie Alexander kind of buried on the depth chart. Is there anything that you heard about this class? Talk to a guy in the analytics department about the rookie class. A, uh, the analytics department's a lot different than it was two years ago. Um, so that it, was, it was a – because, I mean, they, they promoted a guy, a scout, uh, who's, you know – uh, he's really flexible, loves, you know, sort of a lot of the stuff that analytics is doing, um, you know, knows his way around a computer, stuff like that. So it's not just some random football guy, but they promoted a scout. I think his name is Scott Kuhn um, to be the analytics director. And as a result, a lot of things changed. And so the old analytics staff 
it's not it's not gone, but like a lot of the models that they created aren't being used as much anymore. Um, so I don't know if you remember, but I wrote an article about thresholds and you know what the Vikings are looking for at each position. You know, uh, along the offensive line, along uh, which you know that wasn't as good, but you know linebackers, cornerbacks, uh, defensive linemen, etc. You know, the guy was telling me that I that I hit that like the thresholds I identified were the thresholds that they used, which is you know really gratifying first. Um, but second, he told me you may have noticed, you know, that your thresholds article wasn't very good for predicting the 2017 Vikings draft. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's why I thought it was a bust. And he's like, no, 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 the models changed. You were right. The models changed. And he was making the argument uh, that, you know, some of the analytics folks, maybe not all of them, maybe just him, actually. uh, So I can't say this speaks for the analytics staff or even part of the executive. It might have just been him was really frustrated with the way the 2017 draft went down. Uh, because, you know, the old models, they kind of only liked, uh, you know, the Stephen Weatherly pick, the Jamron Curse pick, and the Mackenzie Alexander pick. That's it, right? A, a second rounder and two seventh rounders. Uh, and so when I talk to them, I have no idea what the Vikings coaching staff currently thinks of those rookies from 2017. But I do know that there was some opposition to the draft strategy that they approached. You know, Willie Beavers, for example, was a complete Tony Sperano pick. You get to pick a mid-round offensive lineman. We'll do our best to get him. That was Willie Beavers. That's my impression. Um, you know, if, if an analytics guy was involved, you know, in that evaluation, maybe they wouldn't have picked Beavers. And understand there's maybe one or two offensive linemen that were picked after Beavers that were any good. So it's not as if they missed out on, like, a Gabe Jackson or something like that. Uh but, you know, that, that is, you know, that, that's an issue, right? Laquan Treadwell, they actually, the argument that the, the Vikings made for Laquan Treadwell makes a lot of sense. And it's the same argument they actually presented to the media because the media asked, hey, this actually, this might have been my question. Um, hey, this doesn't fit any of what you've done at like wide receiver or along the NFL when it comes to, to picking players. You tend to pick athletic guys. You tend to pick guys that fit a production profile in college. And Laquan Treadwell doesn't do that. You know, he's not athletic. He doesn't fit a production profile. The only profile he fits is that he's young. And, you know, Spielman said, and this is what the analytics guy told me, is that they kind of threw out a lot of the data when it comes to Laquan Treadwell because he broke his leg. And they thought, you know, as he's recovering from his leg injury, you know, he's not going to fit that that data. And so the data is not going to be useful. So they constructed an alternate 40 time based off of what they saw in the twenty. I want to say 2015 tape, yeah. And so that's how they they ran the numbers on Treadwell. So they liked Treadwell enough to pick him, obviously, in the first round. And the numbers that they constructed for Treadwell, which actually do make sense, were reasons they picked him early on. So it's a, it was a different approach to the draft. So a lot of people are like, hey, you know, Spielman, you know, maybe you deserve credit for the 2013 draft. It's not as good as we thought it was. You definitely deserve credit for the 2014 draft, maybe. Um you know, 2015 draft, you know, maybe not. The 2016 draft, like, hey, you know, that was bad. What happened? And so there could be an argument for the shift in approaches that occurred uh, in the in the 2016 draft. So that's a lot of knowledge. That's a lot of sourced info from multiple Viking sources. I hope that's good for the pod. Oh, that's great for the pod. I also wonder if they didn't look trade up to get either Will Fuller or Josh Doxson and then ended up getting rejected because both those guys went the picks before and I know everyone thought Doxson was going to be a Viking. So From my understanding, and this is not hashtag sources from Mobile, but hashtag sources from elsewhere. From my understanding, 
they didn't want Will Fuller. They probably wanted Josh Doxson. That would make sense. I think Doxson, he, he fits the treadmill type, for sure. Except he's athletic. Although, the funny yeah, thing is, only one of them played this year, so. Well, I think Doxson ended up taking more snaps than Treadwell, actually. Well, I ended I up think, playing, like... like didn't Doxson take snaps? I I know that the injuries are a little bit worrying with him. Like, it, it sounds like it might be a little bit chronic. Yeah, Treadwell may end up taking more total snaps over the course of the next couple of years. Yeah, Paquan... the injuries with Doxson are really worrisome. Wait, alright, so... Can you guess how many combined receptions Laquan Treadwell and Josh Doxson had this past year? Well, I just looked up Josh Doxson and PFR, and I'm pretty sure Treadwell only had one catch, so I'm going to say three catches. You are correct. Three catches. <laughs> <laughs> that's I oh, that's told so bad. Yes, I didn't even realize bad. it was that bad. Like I barely watched. I barely watched your team this year, to be honest, because y'all don't interest me without Teddy. So. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, I planted my flag on on Michael Thomas. I just wanted to throw it out there. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about Teddy because that's just sad. Um, we we can hope though. We can hope. Um, yeah, let's talk about some of the players in the Senior Bowl. I I feel like a lot of these guys have been talked about to death on so many podcasts. Were there any people who just when you watch them they jumped out to you in a really good or really bad way? O.J. Howard, that's not surprising or interesting or new, but O.J. Howard was phenomenal. And I, I, so Luke and I have put together a uh, alternate combined mock draft for the first round. So we already published our Vikings mock draft using only senior bowl players. And we also wanted to do a post-senior bowl mock draft for the first round, which obviously doesn't include any Vikings. And that'll be published tomorrow, so it'll be published by the time a lot of people listen to this. Uh, and I wrote of... O.J. Howard, who I, I ended up mocking to the Ravens at 16 because uh, Mac Williams isn't panning out. Um, also, you know, two tight ends isn't bad. And Alabama um, tight end with Newsom. Yeah, right? Uh, it, just, it just makes sense. Uh, but I wrote of O.J. Howard that I thought he fell too far at 16, but it doesn't make sense for any of the 15 teams to select him above that because they don't like need a tight end. So I ended up writing in the best value section because I ended up picking a best value of the draft, and I ended up picking O.J. Howard. Uh, in the best value section, I said that O.J. Howard has top five talent, but his positional value drops him. He could be generational. I think he is just a phenomenal talent. He really showed that in Mobile. Uh, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm overselling him, but, I, <laughs> but now I'm going to say something hyperbolic. Uh, I think he might be a better pass-protecting tight end as a, in terms of technique, strength, power, you know, whatever, right? Um, I think he might be a better pass protector than, like, more than a couple of left tackles in the NFL. Like, his technique is so polished, precise, and clean. Um, you know, and he was lined up against these outside linebackers that are actually traditionally edge guys. It wasn't, like, in, in Mobile a lot. A lot of the outside linebackers are 4-3 outside linebackers that they're asking to play 4-3 outside linebacker. From my understanding, this year it was almost all three, four outside linebackers being asked to play off the ball. So O.J. Howard is up against actual edge rushers. So he's up against Hassan Reddick and his and his teammate or former teammate Ryan Anderson, whatever, and he shut them down. He did a phenomenal job. So O.J. Howard stuck out to me in a really, really good way. Uh, other than that, you know, I thought Josh Reynolds, you know, might have been the flashiest receiver. I don't think he was the one who won, you know, out of all the receivers in Mobile. I don't think he was the one who won. I know that there's at least one or two articles from people that 
that I really respect. I think Tony Pauline, for example, at Josh Reynolds is the best receiver there, if not, you know, one of them. But he he stuck out the most because he was flashiest. You know, the quarterbacks there, I don't know if you've heard, are not good. <laughs> uh, and and he did a really good job of making them look accurate. I mean, he you know you see his measurements and he's got like long arms or whatever, but. You know, he was able to fully make use of that range. Like he was able to save a lot of bad balls, uh, and he, he threw the he caught the ball extremely well. So he stood out uh, in terms of you know standing out negatively. Um, you know, I think that uh, two of the offensive linemen, uh, Jessamine Dunker and Danny Isadora, I thought stood out really negatively. I think in terms of a win loss rate in one on ones, they were they were among the lowest. But the reason I'm identifying the two of them is because they also had just the worst technique, both as run blockers and and pass protectors. They didn't know what to do with their hands. They kept on you know falling back on their heels and staying off balance and stuff like that. And then a receiver that I was really interested in because I'm a Hashtag egghead, hashtag nerd. Um, Amba Edetawo uh, of Syracuse, analytics superstar, incredible market share of yards, incredible production. Uh, and he's in an offense that should theoretically decrease his market share of yards because of the way these receivers, the way that, you know, Dino Baber's offenses sometimes distribute the ball. You know, I know that, like, you know, last year they had a standout receiver. I think his name was Roger Lewis, plays for the Giants. Bowling Green? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Babers is at Bowling Green, I think, yeah. Yeah, this was his first uh, year at Syracuse. Yeah, and so, um, and so, yeah, and so he, uh, and so he, he got a decent market share, but Amber had a title's market share of yards, which is, like, you know, supposed to be the killer statistic in terms of projecting college receivers up to the NFL uh, was stunning. It's just out of control. It's in like 45% when a good receiver is, you know, 32%. Um, but, you know, he's a one-year wonder, so you're kind of interested in like sort of what he did. He he transferred from Maryland uh, to, to Syracuse, and I thought he was the worst receiver there by a mile. He was awful. Um, and I was so interested in him. But And it might have just been like, you know, because some of these guys, it might just be the environment that they're in that might actually genuinely end up being good and perform poorly in mobile. Uh, he might be doing something he's not familiar with or being asked to do, but you know, he took extra steps in his routes constantly. You know, he was always late to the ball. He couldn't, he couldn't break to the ball correctly. He wasn't exploding out of his routes. Like if a guy is taking extra steps at the route stem, you kind of want him to at least make up for it somehow by, you know, coiling and, and exploding. And he wasn't, you know, he just wasn't doing any of that. His hands were okay. You kind of want to cut him some slack on his hands because on day two, he injured his finger. Uh, but, uh, even before then, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't doing so hot. Uh, yeah. So, you know, so that's, that's, that's what stood out to me. Oh, also, uh, the defensive linemen were friggin' God tier down there. They were really good. We're going to talk about the defensive lineman in a minute. It's I was going to ask you about Editavo though, because I mean I watched him absolutely destroy UConn this year. Uh, it it was pretty much a man among boys, and he's I thought he was very good. A lot of the routes were vertical routes, and he breaks a lot of tackles. So I'm wondering if maybe that cushioned his numbers a little bit because we saw Sammy Watkins do that a lot, and Watkins even when he hasn't been injured. Um, He's really only gotten open on vertical routes and seam routes, and I'm wondering if that's sort of what Edetawo's role is going to be in the NFL because he's not that crisp cutter that you really want out of someone at that position. And I, I well, have. I other... kind of disagree with you about Sammy Watkins, but you watch a lot more AFC East than I do, so I'll defer to you on that. Uh, I talked to, I think it was Jeff Riston told me this, um, or one of the PFF guys, maybe. I don't, I don't want to credit someone who doesn't want that opinion attached to them, so I'll say it's open. 
But I think one of the PFF guys, now that I think about it, said to me, uh, Ed Atowell was pretty was was really good in September and then dropped off. Did did UConn play Syracuse? They did in play in September. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that might be like, and maybe there's another injury that we don't know about, but like that could play a role. For example, uh, I. I really think that technically speaking, he was a poor route runner on a variety of routes, and it might just be a vertical thing. And I'm fine with that. There's a lot of use for that. It turns you from like a number one receiver into a number two receiver, which is fine. You know, like that's great. But I think he's not fast enough for NFL vertical routes. And, you know, that's, you know, you don't have to be fast to be a really good deep threat. I mean, there's some receivers in the league that are still good deep threats that are not that fast. Uh, you know, in a straight line, but you know, I think what was it? Jordy Nelson ran like a four, five, eight, or something like that. You know, that's not that fast. Um, but he's an incredible vertical threat. Uh, but I don't think he's that. Like, I don't think he has the tools to do what he did in college. The dude who I think he has to emulate is former Bill Stevie Johnson. I mean, I mean, that would be the route where I see Edatawa winning. Stevie Johnson is a really hard route runner. He's really good, game. but he's. He's at his best with those hesitations and double moves. That really is where he wins. Yeah, he is. And I think that that's and, and where – And Johnson I saw him win on that a lot. Well in, Stevie Johnson doesn't function well in timing offenses, and that's okay. But, yeah, he, I mean, he's – what is he? The Revis killer, right? Oh, yeah, he um, destroyed Revis. Because yeah. Revis' his entire game is predicated in athleticism and timing, and Johnson throws that off. Yeah. Uh, if if he can if he can go the Stevie Johnson route, that's great. But like Johnson has a really good feel for what the cornerback's about to do, uh, and and break that feel. Like I think Johnson tells a better story. Like to use the Matt Waldman line, I think Johnson tells a better story. It takes him a little bit longer to tell it, which is fine because he gets open. Um, I don't think Edatawo has that ability. I think because Edatawo's extra steps are wasted. Stevie Johnson's extra steps are very useful. So I'm going to get to the, the question now. I asked for questions before, and one person sent me two questions. So we're going to do them because it's all about the defensive line. And uh, the person who sent the questions is at 54Enthusiast. His display name is C. Mike Did Nothing Wrong. Uh, Christian Michael That's Trooper. great. That's a – you know what? He did nothing wrong. He should have stayed on the Seahawks. I'm sorry. Uh, they got they got, they got got karma'd for that. That's all I'm going to say. They did. Um. Yeah, so his question is, where does Tanzel Smart fit into Jaleel, Caleb, etc.? So Tanzel Smart is someone who I was on last year. I thought Tanzel Smart was great. Did you know that he made up 10% of Tulane's tackles last year? That's the highest of any... I did when I was studying... I studied... Uh, I tried to study some of these players going in. Tanzel Smart was had incredible production. He's, he's fantastic. Like I remember watching him last year, and he, again, thank you, UConn, Jumped off the tape in the UConn game, so I had to watch more. And the dude's just a bowling ball. He's super explosive. He's really productive. A defensive tackle should not be making 10% of his team's tackles. Like, that's unheard of. And he is just really solid. I heard he was a high-character guy all week. I think Tangelo Smart's going day two. I would plant my so, flag uh, on that. I would not bet against that. I think that that's... He showed an incredible amount of movement ability in the defensive line drills, and and Justice watched more of them than me. But you know that stood out to me. I think Justice remarked on it specifically, and you know my D line guys are Justice and Chuck, so I'm going to trust them when they say something, yeah. especially when I already agreed with it beforehand. Uh, Tanzel Smart looked good. The problem with me being able to answer this question is I have not watched literally any Caleb Brantley, and he's you know a first round guy, right? So. Um, 
I can't rank him there. Chuck has Jaleel Johnson as DT1, so sure, I agree. <laughs> Jaleel Johnson's DT1. Um, but uh, Tantel Smart, I think that you know, he had a productive week. I, I think that he didn't show as much as Dalvin Tomlinson. I think there's a good argument that he didn't play as well as Carlos Watkins did this week either. Um, although I think Watkins didn't have a great game, if I remember correctly. I don't remember. Uh, and uh, and I think with those two guys and, and Jaleel Johnson, it's easy to forget Tanzel Smart, but I think that he is definitely a valuable defensive tackle, and I think that he could be a second-round quality tackle that has a lot of upside because he's, he's like a stocky guy, and I know I know people don't like it when you make a stylistic comp to a, to a great player, um, but so long as you're very clear that you're not making a talent comp, I think that was it Chuck who made this comp? I don't know. Somebody made this comp that Tenzel Smart plays like. Um, no, Chuck hates this comp. That's why, because there's only one. Aaron Donald. Uh, <laughs> Chuck hates this comp because there's only one Aaron Donald. But in terms of play style, you know, you can see it. I think it's difficult to agree with. I, I, I wish I remember who told me these things. I'd be so much better of a guess if I did. <laughs> but... I kind of agree with Chuck that you can't make a stylistic comp either to Aaron Donald, and the reason for that has to do with how much explosion is a part of Aaron Donald's game and how much of Aaron Donald's explosion is so next level that you cannot create a style around it the same way. Just like, you know, J.J. Watt's physical talents are ingrained in his style. You know, Tanzel Smart's not as physically gifted, right? So I think that he wants to play, you know, like Aaron Donald, and it's successful for him. But, you know, I mean, he's a short DT. That's what you got, so. I mean, this is not the same class as it was last year. I'm not sure. Even Jaleel Johnson. I know Chuck loves Jaleel Johnson. I don't think I would take Jaleel Johnson in the top 15. I mean, he's a good player, but he's not Sheldon Rankins. And Sheldon Rankins went 11 last year, you know? So, I need to I think that's still... Chuck for Jaleel Johnson. I don't know if I agree with that. Because Sheldon Rankins also had next-level awareness. Uh, he knew where the ball was in every single play, and I think Johnson's very good. I'm not sure that he's at that level, though. But, again, I have to watch more, and I'm still finalizing my rankings, so we'll see what happens there. And Smart- remember, you you got to send your rankings to me. You yeah, know, because right? I'm doing. I'm actually going to do a top – what's your minimum, 200? Uh, my minimum uh, is is 100, although I like to have at least 150. All right. I'll, I'm going to go all in for you, Arif. It's all for you. Um Appreciate it. Yeah, I know. Smart, the dude who he reminds me of is a, I'm going to do a little bit of a throwback as I like to do. Um, Jay Ratliff, the former Bears and Cowboys defensive and tackle. Cowboys guy? Yeah. yeah because no, I, man, I love, I, I love throwback comps. I, I like that because, you know, he's a little bit shorter and stockier, but he's really explosive and he plays the run really well. I, I think Smart's yeah, going to be a very, actually, very good, good player. Another reason it's really good comp is that Smart is underrated as a nose tackle because at Tulane, he was yep. actually. Really good nose tackle. Yes, he was. They played uh, and Jay Ratliff. Uh, uh, nose tackle on a three-text body, essentially. Yeah, I think that that really is what he is. And I, I think a team's going to take him really high. I'm excited to see his potential moving forward. He's he's a good player. And Tomlinson also is someone who, as you said, has really stepped up. Um, and I heard good things about him in practice, too. So I think defensive tackle class might have some depth there. Um the other question that was asked of me by um, Christine Michael, we're just going to call him Christine Michael now because we love Christine Michael. Um, 
Derek Rivers or Hassan Riddick? And I'll be honest, I haven't watched a single Derek Rivers snap. So I leave this to you. That's that's tough. So a guy like Derek Rivers, you know, he comes from uh, you know, a small school right in FCS school, uh is super athletic, and the first thing that you think is Oh, he's maybe maybe you know he's not aware, or maybe he's not technically refined, right? Because I mean that's kind of the the brand uh, of small school prospects that are athletic is that you know well they're behind in somewhere, right? They're, they're technically deficient, or they've got some level of awareness they need to develop as they move up to the next level, and that's not really true for Derek Rivers. You know he is technically uh, pretty sound. He has multiple moves again, and he's very aware of what he needs to do. Uh, so. There were really only two edge guys, and I'm not counting Hassan Reddick in this because I didn't see him in this drill often enough for me to for me to say. Um, but there were really only two edge guys that were yelled at by the coaches when it came to run blocking drills or, or run defense drills, uh, because and, and that was that was Derek Rivers and even more than Derek Rivers, Vince Beagle. Uh, and it's because you know they were able to understand what their assignments and responsibilities were when they were unblocked on the backside of a zone run, for example. You know, a lot of people, you know, would would just go into the backfield and they get they get smoked, right? And we actually saw that in the game. I think Tano Passano, uh, it happened to him where you know he got into the backfield and he just got ruined, right? Because they ended up running. Um, it was either a counter or a reverse, but you know he had no ability to get to the ball. He had to turn completely around. You know that never happened to Beagle. And Derek Rivers did a really good job of reading what was happening and and adjusting to it. So Rivers is is I think a lot better than than I think his profile would suggest based off of draft history. But I would say Hassan Reddick had a better showing at the senior bowl because he showed that he could do everything. You know, I think that he's still an edge guy. Um you're just gonna have to find a team that's willing to take a two hundred and thirty seven pound edge guy. That's a scream stealer to me. Um but you know, he showed that he's actually, you know, kind of like how Anthony Barr was able to to switch from from edge to to off ball linebacker. With, I mean, if we want to count, you know, 2016 or, or 2015 rather, uh, with good results or 2016 with bad results, you know, he, he, and and Von Miller is maybe the best example. You know, he's maybe another one of those guys that could do it because, unlike you know Ryan Anderson and Tyus Bowser and a lot of these converted three four guy, edge guys. You know, he showed an ability to, you know, play extremely well in coverage. He had a very good understanding of what he needed to do. Uh, you know, he was able to to read running backs in open space really, really well. I mean, there's a drill that's super unfair to the linebackers where uh, the, you know, the running back gets the ball and then 10 yards to run up and then the linebacker has to crash down from like five yards away Uh and tackle the running back. And there's enough space there that, you know, the linebacker is usually going to be wrong. Hassan Reddick was never wrong. Uh, and so, you know, his ability to play in coverage, you know, he played zone really well. He played man really well. He tackled in open space extremely well. All the things that you're worried about when you convert an edge guy to uh, off-ball linebacker, you know, he accomplished. And he showed that he's a really good edge rusher. I mean, he's going up against, like, players like Zach Banner, who admittedly not a great tackle, but 360 pounds, right? A guy who has 120 pounds on him. Right, like actually 120 pounds on him, uh, and and no problem. Right, he was able to go up against all of the offensive tackles and and generate you know pressure. Not that it was a great offensive tackle uh, you know group or anything like that, but I would take Hassan Reddick over Derek Rivers just because you know whatever plan you have for him, it's probably going to work. 
the only linebacker who I saw consistently win at that drill in the two years that I was at the senior bowl was Jordan Hicks, who currently is playing for the Eagles. And it's pretty good. So, you know, that Jordan definitely Hicks is underrated. Well for yeah, that, oh, that he's would be, super underrated. Be a good direction for him to go in. Super underrated, for sure. A um, couple of other quick hitters before we put the senior bowl to bed. Running backs. People don't talk a lot about running backs. A lot of people talk about quarterbacks, but not about running backs. There are some good ones this week. Kareem Hunt is really good. Uh, I've been watching more and more of his tape, and that guy is fantastic. And I'm surprised that he's not getting more love. Uh, We talked about him a little bit today, uh, just privately. But, yeah, I mean, are we sure that he didn't pull a Le'Veon Bell and just get much thinner? Because he was playing a lot heavier in college and he still has that tackle breaking ability and he's one of the best tackle breakers I've seen. Um, yeah, I really, really like Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I, I love Kareem Hunt. I was talking to a lot of people before the draft, you know, cause I'm doing like this pretty senior little research and, you know, Luke's like, Oh, you like this guy, Jamal Williams. And I was like, man, whatever. Oh, you like this guy, Donald Pumphrey. And I was like, yeah, I don't know how he projects, but he's pretty stunning. Uh, Oh, you like this guy, Kareem Hunt. And I was like, Luke, Let's talk about Kareem Hunt because we watched him, and he was phenomenal. So I asked a bunch of guys, you know, on draft Twitter. I was like, "Hey, you know, do you guys have takes on Kareem Hunt?" And everyone was like, "Love him." And I was like, "Great, I'm not crazy. That's amazing." And then someone was like, "Running back three. and I was like, "What? Uh, sure, yeah, he's great." <laughs> like, so I, I I love Kareem Hunt. The problem with running backs at the Senior Bowl is that in order to I think really evaluate them, you have to have Probably the practice film, which we did have. I, I was more interested in watching the offensive lineman, defensive lineman, because the Vikings need offensive linemen, and you know who knows, maybe they have to replace Ray Floyd too. Um, so I didn't get to see as much of him uh, because it's really difficult from like the stands or even the sidelines to evaluate running back vision, uh, and that's kind of the most important thing that you can evaluate at the Senior Bowl because they're not going to be you know breaking that many tackles, you know, and if you know if they do break a tackle, you don't know if it's uh, or, or if they do sort of like jump cut away from a tackle, you don't know if it's because, you know, the defender pulled up, you know, whatever, right? It's really difficult to evaluate running backs at the senior bowl. Um, but from what I saw, Kareem Hunt had the best vision. From what I saw, Jamal Williams played better than I expected. You know, he – the biggest problem I had with him was that he wasn't connecting his, his feet to his eyes. You know, he's always late to make a decision that it seemed like he had already made. Like he was making the correct decision and he was too late to act on it. And the senior bowl looked like, you know, in these practices so far that that wasn't a problem. I don't know how much that's going to translate when you get out of practice, but, you know, whatever. Pumphrey looked pretty good. You know, he didn't look as good as I thought. I wanted him to be a better pass catcher, but he looked pretty good. Uh, but from what I saw, and it's – Again, I mean, it's tough to talk about running backs at the Senior Bowl, especially in practices. You know, Hunt was probably, you know, the best running back there. If not, it was Matt Days. I thought Matt Days did a really good job. He's fun. Um, He's quick. Yeah, he is fun. Yeah, and he doesn't seem like he'd measure in over 200 pounds. Uh, And I think he and Kareem Hunt ended up having, like, the same measurement. They're, like, 208. I think Matt Days had a really good game, too. Not that it matters that much, but both of those backs had good games. I would take... I would take both of them on my team in a second. I, I think that Kareem Hunt and Matt Days are both really, really good runners. This running back class is stacked, though. I mean, so yeah, many good it's, underclassmen. It's I, you, if you need a bell cow running back, you could still wait. until like If you're like, we're like one player away, you know, kind of team, which, I mean, no team is. But if you're like, we're one player away and it's a bell cow running back, you could still wait until the third round. Like, it's it's a really good running back class. Yeah, it's it's really, really good. Um, 
I just joked about the quarterbacks. I have to talk about them for one second, though, because all of a sudden Nathan Peterman is getting day two hype. And I, I'm just not I'm not seeing it. I mean, the dude who I was actually hyping a little bit before this week, who I heard played pretty well, was Josh Dobbs. Because I still think that Josh Dobbs got kind of a bum rap because uh, he functioned in his offense, I thought, about as well as he could at Tennessee. He had to deal with a lot of adversity. I think day three, a team's going to get a steal with him um, as a depth guy and maybe a spot starter because he's very, very smart. And I think he has the physical tools to be good as well. Did you see any quarterback stuff this week other than Pipkin and Lufau being bad? <laughs> Lufau was bad. I heard. I, I, I regret all my Lufau takes. He He might still be hurt, though. He got really beat up this year, but I heard he was awful. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I know that he got better each day. Um, not like day two was better than day one, but the end of day one was better than the beginning of day one. The end of day two was was better than the beginning of day two. Like that happened a lot with Lufau. But at the beginnings were so awful. You can't. You know, whatever. Yeah. Um, he got a gun the, though. The problem I have with evaluating, you know, who played the best in practices among the quarterbacks of the Senior Bowl is that I think that if you play at above a certain level, it's very difficult to evaluate beyond that because they don't have an understanding of, I guess you'd call it chemistry with the receivers, but they don't have an understanding of what the receiver's catch radius is. They don't have an understanding of where the receiver likes to have the ball plays. They don't have an understanding of like, you know, when receivers think they're open, how far away from defensive backs they are, you know, their understanding of like, you know, because some receivers were running routes at different angles, like same depth, but different angles. Uh, than others so like you know for example Amara Darbo you know a lot of people liked his his senior bowl practices I thought you know he showed a lot of strengths and a lot of weaknesses and so I ended up meh about him but you know he would run these routes where he'd get open but he's running them at different angles so his break would run generally flatter routes than a lot of other people especially on like comebacks and stuff like that if quarterback doesn't know that he's you know it's not going to be an accurate ball so I have a lot of issues with like making a statement about or making a definitive statement about a quarterback at the Senior Bowl, um, but with all of those, with all those hedges in there, I would say that it was pretty clear that Peterman was the best quarterback. He did not look like a day two quarterback to me. In fact, I left thinking best case scenario day four, and I was not a guy who liked his. his there is no day four. Much, you so mean like round maybe, four, right? Sorry, not day four, round four. Um, maybe I'm biased because I didn't like his pit tape that much, but like Dobbs, you know. The thing about Dobbs is that, you know, one, one of the issues at the Senior Bowl is that you have to take a look at these performances within the context of projection, right? So, like, Julian Davenport is a good example uh, to go off topic. You know, Julian Davenport actually, in his first couple of practices, performed really well. He didn't let people get pressure around him, but he played with awful technique. He's late with his hands. He didn't know where to punch. You know, he, he set at the wrong depth. You know, he overset uh, when when it was pretty clear that a counter move was coming and stuff like that. And then he, he still won because he's overwhelmingly physical and has this incredible physical talent. Um, but the practices got worse for him every week because, you know, players figured out how to beat him. But if you just evaluated him based on his performance, he actually had a pretty decent senior bowl. But if you evaluate him from the perspective of, like, projecting him into the NFL, he had an awful senior bowl, right? And that's kind of how I feel about Josh Dobbs. You know, I think that if you evaluate him from his performance and was not that good, if you evaluate him from the tools that he shows that project well for quarterbacks, the next level, 
you know, I thought there there was a lot there. You know, I think that from a projection standpoint, Dobbs might have been the best of the quarterbacks, knowing that he probably has a lower floor than Peterman anyway. Um, I didn't watch that much Dobbs tape going in because I wasn't that interested in the quarterbacks going in. But I would say, you know, Dobbs showed accuracy um, at every level of the field, but he did not show consistent accuracy. And so what I really mean is that he had accurate throws for every route, but he was not, you know, completion rate or, you know, accuracy rate accurate, right? Uh, He was just off on a lot of throws. Uh, I couldn't tell you how we read defenses because there were not that many defenses. But one thing that people had trouble with Pipkin and Lufau into a little bit Josh Dobbs is they were too willing to run uh, when when there was a clear receiver that should have been open in like skeleton or seven drills, right? Seven on seven. Uh, Pipkin and Lufau were way worse about this, and it's really obnoxious because like the pressure isn't real. There's there's no defensive lineman. Just throw the ball. <laughs> but uh, you know they would run. Uh, Dobbs did a little bit of that. That was frustrating too. So it would, it would probably make anyone who has like me, a touch of OCD annoyed if we didn't finish with the DBs because we went through every position actually. So oh, we did, but we, oh, we did by the fullbacks. Well, they don't count. Um, super quick though. My son, Obi Melifonwu, that guy's gonna be a first round pick, right? I love him. Uh, I thought that if you, and I think you probably saw uh, that I made him the winner among the safeties. Uh, and the argument here is not that he had the best practices. I think that was John Johnson from Boston College. Or that he had the best game. That was probably Lorenzo Jerome. Yeah, um, he was awesome. But he had awesome. the best combination of the two. Lorenzo but, Jerome was awesome. Yeah, he was awesome. Uh, he didn't have great practices. But I think the combination practices and game, I think Obi Malafon was was the best safety. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was reading a scouting report on him. It said he had speed issues, and I was like, I don't really see that. Uh, you know, maybe he does. Not from what I saw. He's going to run 4-4 uh, at 6-4, 220. Oh, he's going to run, well, yeah, he doesn't have speed issues. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm I don't, I mean, I don't, wouldn't trust him in single high, but he's, he's fine. He's perfectly fast enough. And I think a team is going to pick him and use him correctly, and it's going to be great because he has so much experience. He's so smart. Um, everyone yeah, at UConn raves I'm, about Obi. I'm reading these things on him, and his negatives don't seem to be true. Like the speed issue, and then some people say that he like misdiagnoses easily, and he was maybe the best safety there in terms of diagnosis. Yeah, the like thing, he just appeared where he needed to be. The thing about Obi is that he had to deal with a lot of stuff at UConn, um, he pretty much was sort of like how Gerard Mayo for the Patriots for a few years had to do everything because the defense was so inexperienced. It was when Sergio Brown was starting at safety. You remember those good old days? Um, <laughs> yeah, Obi had to do that pretty much his entire career at UConn, and it was very unfortunate. He had one really bad season, too. His sophomore year was god-awful, but it got better after that because Junior year, he had the very underrated and current starter on the New York Giants, Andrew Adams, uh, who sort of held down that free safety position, and he it really let him play strong safety, and he was great as a junior. And then last year, he had a really good year. PFF said he's one of the best safeties in the country. Um, I think he really showed me all you need to show someone, and he's going to kill the combine. I mean, UConn underachieved so much. With Bob Diaco. It's not cool. 
They're going to have... I think... It's crazy. I think in another safety class, he's around one pick. I think in this safety class, he's not. This is a really good uh, safety class, you're right. But we'll see. Yeah, it's... it's it's. I mean, from, like, a pre-draft perspective, it's, you know, the best one since... Uh, what, Earl Thomas and Eric Berry were in the same class in 2010, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the best one since that. Um... I, it's uh, and the thing is like you know and and this is like a lot to do with how draft Twitter uh, is separate from the NFL when it comes to safety. It's like I think that's where the, I mean my data says that's where they're the most divergent, uh, and that makes sense because the NFL has more access to like not just practice film but like all twenty two and stuff like that, and that's where safeties kind of are distinct. But um, I think that he would have been above Ha Clinton Dix and Landing Collins in a lot of draft Twitter rankings. Uh, in those years, uh, but still probably would have been behind based off of, you know, how highly the NFL, especially rated Haha Clinton Dix, you know, who knows, but I think that he's around one safety most years, but in a year with like, you know, Malik Hooker and Buda Baker and Jamal Adams, like, eh, I don't know. I think Baker could go lower than people expect because I don't think he's going to well, yeah, test his, that his well. Issues his size, right? He's like five. Yeah, I mean, I would take yeah. him in the first round for sure. I think that all those guys are first rounders, but I think that Baker could go a little bit lower than people expect. I also think that Malik Hooker, someone's going to trade for him, and I think it might be San Diego. Um, that makes sense. We'll see. Uh, Tony Pauline had Malik Hooker based off of his conversations at the at the Senior Bowl. Had uh, not Malik Hooker. Uh, had Buda Baker anywhere between rounds two and four, and that really shocked me. So you might be right. I mean, I, I've heard the same thing about Deshaun Watson, but that's a conversation for another night. Final Super right. Bowl question, and then we're finally going to get to the Super Bowl, which we'll keep pretty brief. Um, at media night, you know, one of my favorite things is actually meeting the players and talking to them and figuring out who they are. I remember a couple of years ago meeting Lakin Tomlinson, talking about how uh, he – was a do- like pretty much after his NFL career is over, he's going to be a doctor because he already has all the degrees for it. Just like one of the most intelligent uh, people I've ever met. Um, talking to guys like uh, Ty Montgomery and Antoine Goodley, who's one of my personal favorites, and Ali Marpet. Um, just meeting all these people, hearing their stories, talking to them. At Media Night, was there anyone specifically who you found extremely engaging who made you want to root for them in some sort of way? At Media Night, all I did was eat dinner. I didn't talk to any of the players. Oh, come on. (laughs) I'm not really into that. Luke did. He talked to a lot of players. Uh, Cooper Cup evidently is is pretty engaging. To me, the most engaging player that I talked to all week, and again, didn't talk to many players, was probably Tano Passano. Uh, Super cheerful guy. Uh, yeah, I I know a lot I, of people don't like him, but he's gonna get picked really high. So well, I was I was talking to him. I was like, "Hey, man, I talked to a lot of people. Uh, this was off camera, unfortunately, because this would have been really nice to have on the camera. Because we have a Tano Passano interview up on on coldomaha.com right now. Um, and I talked to him afterwards. I was like, "Hey, did the Vikings talk to you? How long did they talk to you for? They did, and it was like for 15 minutes. So you know, it's not like I think one team, and I I don't know who it was, sat down." with Kareem Hunt for like an hour and a half. And I think that generates, that's, that's a more important story than blank team meets with blank player for 15 minutes. So, uh, that doesn't signal interest to me. Um, but you know, and I was like, Hey, you know, I was talking to some people, they like, they're wondering, you know, sort of, I didn't say why you're invited, but like why you weren't more productive given your physical tools or something like that. And he was talking about the defense at Villanova and he was like, 
Well, I mean, personally, I think, you know, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a six or, or a nine. He's talking about like alignments and techniques, you know, essentially outside the offensive tackle, um, by a little bit or a lot. Uh, and at Nova, they had me play four eye and I hadn't watched any Tana Passano tape and that friggin' shocked me. And so for people who don't know, four eye puts you up inside the offensive tackle's shoulder. Uh, and so you're playing a lot like a, a what we would call a three technique, uh, defensive end, except you're shaded just a little bit more to the outside. Uh, you know, fours are head up against offensive tackles. That, that's what we, you know, a lot of people call three or four defensive ends, five techniques, very often, depending on the nomenclature, and it really depends on the coach. You know, that's they're often called fours by their own coaches. Uh, and so four I is a lot like a, a two-gapping three-four defensive end. So that was shocking to me. You know, he's still playing one gap because he's a four I instead of a four. But that might explain why people didn't like him going in because he wasn't playing the position. that I mean, he is six, seven with, like, 34-inch arms. Like, and I understand you want your, like, three or four defensive ends to have longer arms because that's what you need for two-gapping. But, like, he was custom-built to be a 4-3 defensive end. He's 200, he weighed 280 pounds, was listed at 290. Um, yeah, I think that's the reason because he had a really great week. Anyway, you know, he was fun to talk to. People, uh, well, Justice doesn't like him because he doesn't have that much bendability. But, uh, honestly, I... We'll see what happens. One thing that I'm going to be interested with him, and I don't know if you remember when the anti-African player bias began to rear its head. I think it was with um, Prince Amakamara a few years ago, where Mm -hmm. some word got around that a lot of teams look down on players, and and for what it's worth, I am not condoning this. I'm just saying this something that was reported. Um, that a lot of teams look down on African-born players because they're seen as too intelligent and soft. <laughs> so I had heard that there was an African-born players bias. I hadn't heard why. That is an extraordinary subversion. Yes. But uh, that, that actually... I don't think it's borne out anymore. I'm not condoning it because I think that the way that you play football is distinct from the way that you approach a lot of your life. Uh, but there are a lot of like people seeking advanced degrees among African born players, uh, because that's how you get to the United States. Um, or like how their parents got to the United States. That's actually a lot of it. Um, but yeah, uh, I know Passano plays pretty physically, so, you know, I wouldn't. And I mean, you have, you have Ezekiel Ansa, you have, uh, Tamba Hali. I mean, there, there are so many counter examples. It's, that is one of the sillier biases I've ever heard of anyone having in, in the NFL. That, that is, but so I have heard, funny. I have heard it's a thing. So we'll see. It, just think about coded language. If you hear anyone it's, say that Passion is really soft, um, that, that's, Something coded there. There's something coded going on there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It, might, it might be influenced by something else. Uh, that, that is related to the general bias that NFL teams want you to score high but not too high on the Wonder League. Yes. That is true. Although, in my mind, actually, the Wonder League is kind of like the SATs to me. It's all about processing speed. Uh, it's about how yeah, quickly well, you're yeah, able I mean, to actually answer Wonderland, the questions. It's, it's actually a lot of time pressure. Yeah. Yeah, that's really what it is. It's all, And the SATs are the same thing. It doesn't actually measure intelligence. It measures how quickly you can process information. That's why I did well in the SATs, but I'm stupid. Um, so it, it's just one of those things that uh, 
so, something that you shouldn't always conflate intelligence with high test taking ability. Um, well, yeah, we were, we were saying earlier, you know, that there's multiple facets to intelligence. Processing speed yep. is one of the many, many facets to like, intelligence. Josh I mean, Dobbs is probably the most intelligent player to ever be at the Senior Bowl, right? He's a rocket scientist, right? Yeah. I, uh, I actually brought this up in the podcast. If I was Josh Dobbs, I would think long and hard about not going to the NFL because what happens if he gets concussed too much? Yeah, I was thinking about this too. Uh, and I don't like – Jim McMahon serves as a good counterexample to this, but like you feel like don't quarterbacks have to worry a little bit less about that? And again, I don't know. But if I was Josh Dobbs, I would run a study on – on how often my position group uh, faces that risk because, you know, rocket scientists may get paid more than other scientists, but they also get paid like scientists. Do a couple years in the NFL, get a good base, invest that, go back into science. Yeah, that's probably smart. He, he won't end up um, actually playing. He'll just sit, he'll sit on the bench, he'll maximize his return, and then he'll go back into the sciences unless he starts. I still, I still like Josh Dobbs. I think a team could do a lot worse than him on day three. So uh, I'll continue I've, I've to support him. him to, to say that your opinion is bad or good. Okay. So yeah, that's the senior bowl. We covered pretty much everything. We went more in depth than I thought we were going to go because we've been talking for an hour. So let's move over to the super bowl. Um, originally I was going to have Chuck on the show to yell at me about the Patriots. Now I have you on the show to yell at me about the Patriots. So I, I think this is going to be a very evenly matched game. I guess my big question is how do you see this game playing out? Do you see the Patriots being able to outmaneuver the Falcons or do you think the Falcons just have too many weapons and they make a big play on defense to win the game? Uh, well, so I think that the Falcons are going to win, but I think that's a less interesting discussion than the fact that they are, like, very opposite teams schematically. Like, I think that's way more interesting. Because well, let's talk about that the then, way... because that's very true. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the Patriots, and, like, stuff has been published on their offense, both in-depth and shallowly, for years. Like, right, for, for a decade and a half, right? Because that's what you do when you're that good. Uh and their offense is, and it has always been this to some degree, it's, it's increased and decreased in complexity in the way that this is executed. But their offense has always been Tom Brady gets to pick whether or not he's playing against zone or man, and then he then he throws to which one he identifies. Obviously, he's very good at identifying whether or not it's zone or man. Obviously, you know, there's a bunch of trap coverages that, you know, people throw at the Patriots having known this and that he has the ability to defeat and stuff like that. That's fine. But fundamentally, like at the very basic level, you got zone beaters on one side, man beaters on the other. Yeah, the receivers are going to adjust. Uh, you know, they see you know particular zone depth, they'll adjust. They see that they're playing against man, they'll adjust because you know Brady obviously has to go through his progressions, may have to switch sides of the field. So it's not that simple, right? Otherwise, it could be a college offense, and it's one of the most complex offenses in the NFL. But for the most part, they have a variety of route packages and route options designed to defeat coverages. And this changes because Belichick is a game planner and, and will change things based off of the game plan. But they largely will attack coverages, and, and Brady will read the coverage and, and throw to guys. It's one of the reasons that I think the Patriots have been so comfortable. Once they find the guys that can process the level of complexity inside the offense, it's one of the reasons that you know people can step up so quickly once they get past that threshold and play within the offense. Because you know, the Patriots always seem to have like a receiver or you know some sort of passing weapon go out 
and they put another one in, and they, they seem to chug along. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and the Falcons' defense is relatively similar to the Seahawks' defense with a with a complex front and a, and a simple simple cover shell, right? And so, I mean, it's man or zone, right? You play cover three, cover one, and they and they play a little bit more complexly than than the Seahawks, and they've got more interesting blitz packages and stuff like that. But you know, for the most part, you know, it's not going to be difficult for Brady to determine what that is. But the Falcons are so confident in not just their players, and they should be. Like, I mean, the rookies and their young players have been just so outstanding. Um, but the Falcons have also just been confident in just the general principles behind the schemes that they choose that they're okay that people are going to constantly choose, you know, zone beaters against them or, you know, cover three beaters against them and stuff like that. And they're very used to playing that. And so having people play against the cover three is difficult because the the Falcons have played the cover three and people who play the cover three more often than teams who attack the cover three have played against the cover three. So you're going into the wheelhouse when you do that. So that's going to be interesting, I think, schematically. Then when you flip sides, you know, the Patriots also have a very complex defense. I mean, They've done a little bit less of this with the Wolfwork God, but from my understanding, and you could definitely correct me, uh, they've done a lot of front switching where they've got you know a three-four front sometimes, they got a four-three front sometimes with Vince Wolfwork in there. I know that Chris Brown, a smart football, wrote about how they'll do a half, you know, one gap, half, two gap. Uh, that's so difficult for an offensive line to deal with. Like I, I can't imagine prepping for that even with two weeks. Uh, and you know, that's interesting. And then you've got you know, these coverage principles that will change. You've got these versatile players in coverage that have the ability to, you know, adapt to those multiple coverage principles. And so they'll play man, they'll play zone, they'll play pattern matching coverage, which is, you know, a combination of the two essentially. Uh, and it's, it's one reason why I mocked Marlon Humphrey to, uh, to the Patriots at the bottom of, at the bottom of the mock draft. Huh. Yeah, I know you want Zach Cunningham, but huh. Humphrey makes sense. That's an interesting pick. I actually well, hadn't even thought about him to the Patriots. I mean, well, Saban plays the same defensive coverage principles. God, so, I know. hate – I don't like the way he, he uses his cornerbacks at all. But go on. Uh, yeah, you should. <laughs> well, it's funny because the, the thing about the Patriots is that their defense on the back end has changed a little bit. Um, they do do a lot more matchup-based defense now, especially in big situations against really good teams. Like, I fully expect them, at least in terms of how they set up, um, to have Logan Ryan in the slot. Logan Ryan was on pace to give up more receptions than any cornerback in the history of the NFL to start the year. And then they moved him to the slot, and he's been absolutely fantastic since then. I think they're going to have Eric Rowan, Julio Jones. They're going to play press with him and have Devin McCourty over the top shading. And I think they're going to play Malcolm Butler and Taylor Gabriel. And then they're going to fill in the gaps with the other players. Now, the uh, thing, Rich, Rich Hill uh, believes this too, right? Yeah. I mean, it's – Eric Rowe sort of let it slip during um, – he let it slip that Ryan was going to be seeing a lot of Sanu, and Sanu spends a majority of his time in the slot. So it, it just sort of came out that way. But the thing that is – makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that – the Patriots secondary, you know, they haven't faced a very tough schedule, but they've played very well. And they did a great job on Antonio Brown last week. They did a really, really good job on him. And I mean, the Falcons offense is fantastic. Their running backs are great. Their tight ends, I think could be unsung heroes. Austin Hooper has really been dynamic at times Hooper, this year. Hooper has showed up. Yeah. Um, th- the thing about the Patriots though, is that 
I think that their front four is a little bit underrated. Trey Flowers has been great this year, and no one is talking about him, but he's been a top 15 defensive end for me. And uh, the key to the Patriots winning is they have to stop the run on first down. They have to get the Falcons into a lot of third and long, second and long situations. And the Patriots defensive tackles have had a really good year. I mean, we were talking about some sleeper defensive tackles, and Vincent Valentine has been a force. Um, uh, he's someone who was a force player, actually, and didn't do a lot at Nebraska. He was kind of inconsistent with pad level, but... He's been rotating along with Alan Branch, and Alan Branch is one of the most underrated players in football, in my opinion. Uh, he's been great for the past two years. And Malcolm Brown has had his moments as well. He's probably the most talented of that entire group. And then you have Landon Roberts, who's been good, stopping the run. Kyle Van Noy has finally come back from his Mormon mission, and he's playing good pass coverage. Um, <laughs> this team is just – and Dante Hightower, I didn't even mention him – this team has a lot of weapons, and their defense has played very cohesively since they traded away Jamie Collins, and they're going to be ready for this Atlanta offense. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun because the, I think you're right that Atlanta Atlanta is very much a schedule offense. They yeah. like to stay on schedule, so your ability to stop the run on first down. And I, I think that when Julio goes to the slot, they're going to put Logan Ryan on him, and I think that that's a good matchup for. The Falcons, but Logan Ryan has been, he's the X Factor. He's been playing out of his mind this year. Um, it's, it's actually, every time I watch him, I'm more and more impressed. He's been playing so well from the slot, so that's something to keep an eye on. And then on offense, I just don't see how the Falcons stop the Patriots. And they have five legitimate one or two receivers on most other teams in this league. And. With Edelman, Amendola, Chris Hogan, Malcolm Mitchell, and Michael Floyd. Um, one of them probably won't be active, and that'll probably be Michael Floyd, but that's still, that's a great group. And then you have Dion Lewis, you have James White. If they go small, you can run with Garrett Blunt. Martellus Bennett has been playing like a top five tight end this year. They have two tackles who haven't given up a sack in the past two months. I don't know, man. Like, I. There were a lot. There was a lot of talk about the Steelers upsetting the Patriots last week, and I never really bought it. I think this game is going to be harder than the Steelers game, but I, I don't know. Unless Brady plays badly, which he could do, I think Deion Jones is the X factor on defense for the Falcons. Um, first of all, Deion Jones is fantastic, and he's been playing really, really well for the Falcons this year. But if he can get a lucky tip get a fumble, get an interception. That's where Brady misses. He misses Shorten over the middle. Returns for a touchdown. I think if that happens, you know, maybe the entire complexion of this game changes. Yeah, I think that, I think we'll see, because uh, the Falcons are at least a little bit more diverse than the Seahawks. I think we'll see Neil do some stuff to Hogan. Like, I, I think that, that that's going to happen. Neil's a very talented young player, but he's still not great in coverage. He can hit, though. I think that if... The Patriots I, I, try to. What I mean. If the Patriots try some posts or some stuff over the middle, I think he's going to make his presence felt, and that could play a role for sure. I definitely agree with that. Um, and you know the Falcons' defensive line is better than they were last year. I mean, Vic Beasley's been great this year. I think that the Patriots are going to help on Beasley a lot, and we'll see what happens there too. I mean, Beasley can get his so. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be one score. I have the Patriots winning 36-30, to which 
I mean, take the over. It's going to be a good game. Uh, what would you say you think the final score is going to be? That's really interesting. Uh, man, Super Bowls are so... Arbitrary? Yeah, and like, I don't know, they tend to be lower scoring, right? Like, I feel like the Super Bowls hit the under more than the over. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just it's just me projecting, like, recency bias or something, or, or a narrative. Uh... I'm going to go, actually, uh, 32-28 uh, for the Falcons. So you're saying that they score a touchdown at the end of the game. That, that wouldn't shock me. Score a touchdown, yeah. get that one-pointer. Um, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think players like Hogan and Tevin Coleman will end up having some pretty outsized impacts. Because... Tevin Coleman, I think, is a bad matchup for the Patriots, so that's a very valid yeah. point. Because yeah. um, you can't cover him with Kyle Van Noy. They're going to have to figure out a way to keep Coleman in front of them. I think that they're going to try to keep everyone in front of them. They're going to force the Falcons to go underneath a lot. But Coleman and Freeman have so much wiggle. It, it's going to be yeah. interesting to see what happens. This could be a fun game. Like, I think this will be a fun Super Bowl. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's probably going to be more fun than than Super Bowls historically have been, although people complain about the entertainment quality of Super Bowls, and I think that the recent Super Bowls are evidence that they can be very entertaining too. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. And, yeah, there's going to be a lot going on. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Everyone rooting against me, this is going to be great. Uh, my timeline's either going to be wonderful or awful. So this is going to be it's probably, a it's great probably gonna be Super awful, Bowl. Yeah. Oh, it's going to probably be awful no matter what. Even if they win, it's just going to be a lot of a lot of vitriolic tweets. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be the best. Um yeah, we went an hour and a half pretty much. So, we went a little bit long, but it was worth it because whenever I talk to you or if I want to talk to you for hours and hours and hours and the listening public only gets to be privy to a little bit of that. So, Going along with you is a pleasure, as always. Thanks, man. Really appreciate that. It means a lot. Do you have anything to plug? I uh, just go to coldomaha.com and, and read my stuff. I wrote a lot this week. I don't tend to write that much. I like write two or three pieces a week, and, and this week I wrote I, – I think I wrote a lot. Are I was you, also on a couple of podcasts this week at coldomaha.com. So are you still radio just go there, or man. not? Are you still radioing or not? Oh, uh, yeah, no, I, I have radio bits. Um, I haven't put up a piece on 1500 ESPN in a while. We're working out arrangements, so, yeah. All right, well, you can check Arif in all of those places. We'll be back after the Super Bowl. Uh, we get, we're going to have to recap it, so we're going to have to say something. Um, yeah, thanks for listening to Football & More Podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, feel free to at me at Ethan Ham. Share with your friends, like, comment, subscribe, rate, do all the things. We'll be back next week. Until then, good luck to your team or the team you're rooting for in the Super Bowl, and I'll talk to you later.